Well, welcome to part two of the message that I started last week. Um, I'm going to not be here next week because um, I've, got, I've, I've got to be in um, Las Vegas at the church that I attend there. And by the way, I need to say, because several of you have asked where my wife is, uh, we're still happily married, just so you know. And, um, but she's part of the team that's directing the children's program at the church uh, pa- uh, that I don't pastor, that I attend in, uh, in Las Vegas. And so that's where she is. And if we have the privilege of speaking here in December, after the 10th, she can be back with me because that's the date of the program then. But um, we all know there's lots of heavy stuff going on in our world right now. I don't think any of us can be lighthearted and uh, not a bit apprehensive and uncertain about what's coming next. The good news is, is the um, next event on the prophetic calendar, and I'm not the only one, but lots of people that study the word and all, uh, we don't see anything standing between ourselves and the rapture of the church right now. So that's the good news. It could happen at any time. But there's some heavy things happening. And I just felt directed to take a break from that. I've, when I've, I've been here a number of times over the last year or so, and um, there's lots of things about the signs of the times and prophecy and that sort of thing. And, and, and all of those things are still there, and I think they have a lot of relevance, but is after um, the presbyter asked if I'd come and speak, I, I start thinking about things, and I just felt just a nudging, I hope it was from the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, bring a message, I mean, th- those other ones will come again, but uh, of something that is uh, a, a little more on the upbeat and not so ominous right now. And one of the things that we all want to experience is the abundant life that is promised to us if we turn to Christ. And so the text I used, and I didn't put a slide up on this, so I'll just read it from the text here today. It's in, it's in um, uh, John uh, chapter 10, verse number 10. <clears throat> I didn't bring my glasses up here, and so let me, uh, let me strain through this. Um, let, me just, let me just quote it, because it's in the red letter and that... <laughs> That glint doesn't come up. Where, where Jesus said, the, 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 um, uh, it's the red letter on my book, not on the lights that are there. But I can paraphrase it pretty closely. It's where Jesus said, the, sheep, uh, the, the, the thief comes to steal. But the shepherd has come that you might have life and that, and in the King James it translates more abundantly, or fullness of life. And so, fullness of life. Abundant living, and that word abundant translates from the Greek overflowing, in excess, um, in abundance, fullness. You'll have quality of life if you turn to the Lord, if you turn to to Christ. And I've used, and so that's the, um, there's a DNA strand that's right there, and I'll explain that for those of you that weren't here last week. We all know about DNA. These are the two strands within a molecule that have all the genetic code of who you are. 
physically. It's just hardwired into you. And it occurred to me that we can, we, we can take that as an analogy of the spiritual genetic code of if you recognize and awaken and practice these things, this is where abundance of life comes. Salvation is ours for the asking. But there are things that we need to do to be obedient, to respond, to uh, navigate our lives within the guardrail of how God has created and designed us to live. One of the big differences between the, um, I'm going to call them the godless progressive woke folk out there today, and us, is they think we can invent truth and make it into whatever we want it to be. Just like it was a wax nose that you could take and bend in whatever direction you want. But there are orders of God's creation. There are fixed truths. And whether you recognize them or not, it's true. And life only works abundantly and joyfully when we recognize and follow the Spirit as He leads us into those areas. So just very quickly here, quick review. These were the five things I looked at last week, and I, I will be done with this in one minute. Right priorities. This is the law of God. In, in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, blessings on you if you do follow all that the Lord has revealed to you. But woe to you if you go your own way. Because there are curses that come when you disobey, but there is abundance of life that comes if you recognize the laws of God and practice those and apply those in your life. Number two, we learn the secret of contentment. How many, for how many of you here has your life just been one endless bowl of cherries with no setbacks or disappointments or heartaches? Can I see your hand? Whether you are righteous or unrighteous, there are bumps in the road in our life. But from the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he has learned the secret of contentment. We learn to recognize that God is at work in the peaks and the valleys of our life. Whether you are in want, whether you're healthy, whether you're sick, whatever it might be. Number three, learn the lesson, and this was a word I invented essentialism. Practice the art of learning to live with less. And the text here is from the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day a new Mercedes and a bigger house and a pay raise and a security in my retirement program. Is that what it says? Give us this day what? Those things that we need to subsist. And God promises to do that. And so we learn to practice that in our own lives. And we are delivered from the cult of thingdom. Number four, value people over things. You've never gone to a funeral and have people miss the big boat 
that Mr. Jones left behind. No. But if you invest in people and relationships and kindness, there's abundance in life that comes. And then number five was a healthy lifestyle. Uh, we are created body, soul, and spirit, individual and social creatures, and in the life of the mind, in terms of diet, in terms of exercise, in terms of, of, of um, partaking in healthy and good things, that's where quality of life comes. So this morning we start out with, you know, this message actually, I was, I mentioned this to Vanette, I might have mentioned it last week, I don't know. I keep these digital files of all these messages I've preached over the last number of years, and I was just perusing through, and I came across this one, Abundant Living, Cracking the Code, and I preached this eight years ago in Hermiston, Oregon. And I thought about it, and, and this, isn't a, this isn't a duplicate of that one, but I like that thought. And so I've been in the business, of, I've, been, I've been busy remaking that, over the last few weeks as, as I've been thinking about it. And so that's where it came from. And the reason I mention that is where I'm starting with part two is where I should have started with part one uh, if I was putting it in the right, the right sequence of order because everything that we do in terms of, of seeking the abundant life is something that happens through the awakening to the spirit in our life. And... Here's another passage, and, and really the text for today. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, the spirit is nothing new. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the earth and the spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep. That was the same Holy Spirit that we're talking about now. But there is a sense in which this, if this, a great theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I've mentioned him before, he said one time in talking about our dependence upon the Spirit, he said, if the Spirit were ever withdrawn from you, believer or unbeliever alike, because it's the breath of life, the spirit of life, the ruach of God. If it was ever withdrawn, not only would you uh, cease to exist, but you never would have existed. That's how dependent we are upon the spirit of God. And so what I have here, uh, different dimensions of the spirit that I want us to look at just briefly, and I'll go over these very quickly. And at, at four o'clock this morning, when I was going over this again, I thought number one is wrong here, but it was too late. I was in Texas this week, and I had to send my uh, powerpoints to Vinette on Monday before I caught a plane. Before spirit baptism is spirit conversion. Remember in John chapter 3 and verse 3, when Jesus was meeting with Nicodemus, the Pharisee that was there, and he said, you must be born again. 
There is that spirit of conversion that awakens us out of this stupor that we're fumbling around in, out of this lie of believing we are legends in our own mind and we can create our own version of truth and we realize that Jesus is Lord and we commit our life to Him. Work number one in awakening to the Spirit is realizing that Jesus is the Son of God and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and that we find our life reoriented, empowered, and we have eternal hope and life because we are born again in Christ. The second work of the Spirit is Spirit baptism. Now obviously, there are those of you who fully understand that here today. But... If, you, if it was not for spirit baptism that was rediscovered by millions of people in 1906, we wouldn't have a New Hope Assemblies of God church today. That became a great move of God that swept not only our country but the world and is still sweeping today. There is, beyond that experience of conversion, which is the first work of grace in the life of a person that births you into the kingdom of God, there is a second work of grace that is the blossoming of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit in your life with a, a new dimension of the presence and power of the Spirit within your life. I like roses. And uh, the thing I like about roses is they, they start out as a, just a bud. And then over the next few days, they just open up more and more full and beautiful. I've got a little rose garden in our house now. I've had them for years. And that reminds me of how the awakening to the Spirit is like the blooming and blossoming of a rose in our life. The more we awaken to it, the more we experience it. And there is, there is this experience that you have and what we teach and believe. And by the way, this movement that started out, it was nothing really new. This was characteristic of the early church. And there have been episodes of this happening throughout church history that has been happening. But uh, this Pentecostal revival uh, began in the, in the uh, early years of the 20th century, 1900s, and continues today. And from ground zero in the year 1901, where the first instance of this that has been recorded in a long time took place. Today, cutting across all denominational lines, there's nearly 700 million Christians that are a part of this renewal and revival of the Holy Spirit. That is an awakening to the Spirit that each of us have available to us. It's a gift of God. And I could preach a whole sermon and a series of sermons on this, but I just want to mention it and pique your interest today. Third, there are spiritual gifts. That's what we saw in operation here just a few moments ago. But there's lots of gifts. They're mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, they're mentioned in Romans 12, they're mentioned in Ephesians 4. But there are gifts that are opening. I'm telling you, there's somebody here that has a gift of hospitality and she's sitting right there. Okay? It's just a wonderful gift. And you know, in this meat, I just found out today, what is it? Sweet and meat or meat and sweet? Sweet and treats. 
something. I saw them in Texas this week. I hadn't seen them since I left. Fried pies. How many know what a fried pie is? Well, you'll find out after church today, along with other things that are there. Hospitality, administration. There are people that are gifted in, in the gift of technology today. There's people that have the gift of faith, the gift of teaching, and the list goes on and on. What a spiritual gift is, it is something that is either latent within you or created or generated by the Spirit, that the Spirit uses that for the, to complete the body of Christ as a form of ministry in your life in service in the church of Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts. And we are to seek those. And God awakens those and utilizes those in our life. Spirit sanctification. Hagiatsmos. I'm showing off my Greek here. Okay. Is the word for sanctification. It means purify. Holy. The Spirit creates a higher standard of holiness living within our life. We... Uh, we are, not we are not still imprisoned by the same sins. I'm not saying we aren't tempted. I'm not saying we don't fall. I'm not saying we are perfect. What I'm saying is spirit empowerment and awaking to the spirit raises your Christian life to a high, higher decibel of purity. And then there is being spirit-led. Where you learn to listen. Well, I'm going to call it the whisper of the Spirit. A thought that comes in your mind. An idea. A nudging that takes place. Now the Holy Spirit can speak in an audible voice and there's lots of ways He can speak. But in the everyday sense of the word of, of, of our lives, as we are sensitive to what the Spirit is saying, He directs and guides our lives. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Now, quickly... Um, second, actually this would be number seven. Become a visionary. Some of you have already recognized this guy. Some of you will figure it out in a moment when I say a little bit more. But this man was a man of faith, and I'll just give you the quote right here. Take the mystery out of it. Whatever success I have had in bringing clean, informing entertainment to people of all ages, I attribute in great part to my congregational upbringing and my lifelong habit of prayer. Amen. This is Walt Disney. Now, just a sidebar here. I had some Disney stock and I just fired Disney. Because of some of the directions they're going right now. But Walt Disney was not that way. Okay? And how it all started, he lived in Southern California, and he had two young daughters. And he liked to take his daughters uh, to an amusement park that was nearby, and they just loved to ride the rides that were there. And he, he was especially fixated uh, by the merry-go-round that while it was blurring around, the horses were going up and down, and there was a flash of colors, and it was just amazing. But when the, when the ride stopped, it was only the horses on the outside rim that went up and down, and all the rest of them were stationary. 
and there was chip paint, signs of wear and tear, and he thought, we can do a lot better than this. And it was Walt Disney, he was clearly a visionary, the first one to create a color animated cartoon, the first one to put it in motion, the first one to have fully animated movies like Snow White and all the other movies that were there. And then, of course, there was the uh, Disneyland and theme park. And it was all uh, an important part of, of Walt Disney's life. And, and it was rooted in faith, and he wanted to make children and families happy. And to this day, there are people that go to Disneyland, uh, especially children, but then adults, who are looking for a child to take so they can relive the little child in them, too. But a visionary is Walt Disney. Now, <clears throat> here's some scriptures that go with that. And the Lord answered me, this is Habakkuk, and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Translation or interpretation. Write down the vision and make it plain and clear so the person that sees it can pick it up and run with it and see it and interpret it. And then one we're all familiar with out of Proverbs chapter uh, 29. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That word vision, tatzon in Hebrew, means vision or prophecy or foretelling or revelation or enlightened word. A vision is a thought, it's an idea that that flashes into your mind, and it doesn't happen just with Christians, but with Christians, it is, this, it is the Word of God that comes. And it doesn't matter who you are to be eligible for a vision. Now, I'm going to list some names here. They weren't all Christians. These are great historical figures. There was Julius Caesar. Did you know that he was an epileptic? There was Homer before him. Did you know that he was blind? There was Plato. He was a hunchback. There was Joan of Arc, who was just a teenager that led a Christian army into battle. There was Beethoven. He was deaf. There was Babe Ruth. He was an orphan. There was General Patton, who graduated dead last in his class at, at, uh, at West Point. There was Fanny Crosby, the great blind gospel writer that wrote uh, song after song and said one time when she was asked if she wanted, her, she wished she could see and she said, no, I want the first thing I ever see with my own eyes to be the face of Jesus. See? And so it doesn't matter who you are, age, gender, you are someone that can be a visionary. And so let's look at this now, an action plan here. Look within. What do I feel? What's burning in my heart? That is where a vision starts. As the whisper of the Spirit begins to speak into your life. Look above. What does God expect of me? Look behind. What have I learned? What are the experiences I have had that lead me to this point that I could build upon? What time is it? Is the time right? Is there a place 
for this idea, this vision to take root and grow and flourish? What resources do I have? How has God gifted me? And what is the big picture? I had a couple of ways I wanted to illustrate this, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is leading me to give the right one right now. Um, just got back from Texas, and there's a pastor in um, Las Vegas. Some of you have heard of him. Maybe some of you know him, Randy Greer at Trinity Life Center. He's a good friend of mine. And as soon as I got back in town, it's been two years ago, he said, you're back. You're the one who started Bethany College, Las Vegas, and we need to do it again. I said, I came back to retire, okay? He said, that's not the right answer, okay? And so uh, there's a team of us, <clears throat> and we've been working on, on this. And um, let me fast forward this. And so I agreed to be a part of it, and, and, uh, and, and we actually started an extension of Vanguard University it's, it, it went for the spring semester of, um, this, uh, of, uh, of this year, 2023. Taught three classes, but our enrollment did not meet the uh, criteria that Vanguard had set for us to move ahead with the full program, and so we agreed that we would just uh, not pursue this any further. Well, after I left Las Vegas in 2005, and, and, uh, and Bethany College Las Vegas was roaring. I'm still meeting pastors that were trained there. We had 150 students in the, enrolled in the program at that time, and I'll just leave that where it is. I went back to uh, Bethany and was teaching on campus there. Well, <clears throat> I was going to live happily ever after there, but Bethany died. It was founded in 2000, uh, uh, 1919 and died in 2011. And I got a call from Southwestern Assemblies of God University in uh, Waxahachie. It's a, it's a suburb of Dallas, Texas. <clears throat> and taught there uh, for three years. And then I got another call and I had a chance to get back into pastoring and that's when I went to Oregon. So all that... It kind of plays together, so let me get to the point on this. So after the thing with Vanguard, which still seems to me like it would have been a great fit, uh, died, I called Sagu because I know the people that are there. And they were very interested and are in uh, partnering with us to start a Christian college here. And I don't have to tell you how much we need Christian education at all levels right now. And so Randy Greer and an attorney that was in my church when I pastored here before, but he's done very well in law practice, and uh, he's quit his law practice and shutting it down, and he wants to go into ministry and has just finished a master's at Fuller Seminary. And then there's part of our team is actually Pastor Childers, too, on this, but he didn't make the trip with us. Anyway, long story short, that went very well. And I see a lot of hurdles in the way. But this thing could actually happen if God is in it. And the reason I mention all of that is because 
That is a vision that was actually birthed back in about 1995, but was reawakened within the heart of, of uh, Randy Greer. And here we are going again. So I'm just trying to say to you that visions happen, and the vision is not a small one, and that leads us to the next thing that is here. Have great expectations. Don't think too small. <clears throat> so here's uh, uh, Conrad Adenauer. Uh, he was a very devoted Christian chancellor of West Germany after uh, World War II and after uh, East and West Germany had been partitioned. And, um, but this was a saying of his that I've always liked. We all live under the same sky, but we do not have the same horizon. And how big is your horizon? The vision that you have. I'm, I'm kind of a sports nut. And I've noticed, I was watching some college football games yesterday. And in the end, I think every favored team won. That usually happens. But often, and it was true yesterday, the underdog took the lead and was ahead. But they find a way to lose. You know what I'm talking about? And it's because their horizon isn't the same. What are we doing here? Uh, playing against University of Washington. You know, and uh, or whoever it might be. And don't let your horizon be too small. But have a broad horizon and a big vision. The story here is of a king in, in Israel and, uh, and the prophet Elijah, Elisha. This is the northern kingdom. It was one godless king after another, and so was Jehoash, who is the king here. But Israel was in trouble. Aram was the Gentile Canaanite power that was knocking at their door. And just like you or me, when we get in trouble, we run back to God, don't we? So he ran to Elisha. And that's where we pick up the story. Open the east window, he said. And Joash opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. He didn't have the great expectations. And sometimes with our vision, we live not to lose. Or we won't not to believe for too much. But have great expectations. This is a key to abundant living. Now, I just have this motto in my life. I've lived by it, and I still believe in it. I would rather crash and burn than never try to fly at all. And I think that's something that should be true of all of us. 
So let's go to the next one. Oh, this is the action plan. Sanctify your imagination. Clean it up. No room for impure visions or bad ambitions there. Discover and awaken your gifts. Bless others. I was thinking of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge. That novel was written in the 1840s. These were kind of the bad days of the Industrial Revolution in England. Oh, there was an upper class, and they were making bank. But there were orphans. There was the working class. There were people that were oppressed by poverty and sickness then. And Charles Dickens created the character Ebenezer Scrooge. These are people that are just wanting to accumulate more for themselves. And you know the story. And Ebenezer Scrooge had the dream. You know, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. And it changed him. And he became a generous man that was blessing his employees. And that's what needs to happen with us too. That the blessings, the vision that we have is something God gives us that is a blessing to others and not just ourselves. And then you pursue the dream. Oh, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have disappointment. You're going to have to recalibrate. But be stubborn. Be persistent. As you pursue that vision and you have big expectations for it. Now, have an attitude of gratitude. Number four. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I have a good friend. He lives in Dallas. I've known him since I was a child in Escalon, California. He's about four or five years older than me. But Ray, Ray York is his name, he has lived the most difficult, tragedy-filled life of anybody I personally know. He had an older brother. When his older brother was, when Ray was 16 and his older brother was a year or two older than him, he was driving drunk and killed in an automobile accident. Three years later, his father contracted cancer and died after a struggle with cancer for just uh, about a year. And I, was, I knew I was living in the town at that time. And his father died. Things seemed to go well. Ray was called to the ministry. He went to Bethany Bible College in those days. Uh, met a beautiful young lady. Her name was Rosemary. She could sing uh, like a bird. Beautiful voice. They got married. They went into the ministry. Had two children, Philip and Laura. Everything was going good until one day, Rosemary and her daughter Laura were taking a ride out in the country and they went across a railroad track and they didn't see the train coming and their car was hit by the train and Rosemary and Laura died. Killed. 
Ray picked up the pieces, married, I knew this lady too, Jeanette, beautiful lady, um, married her, and they lived just three or four years together, and Jeanette contracted cancer, and she died. Ray married a third time, Judy, I know, uh, I, I know them, his, his wife, and things were going well. In the year 2004, I believe it was, Ray himself was diagnosed with lung cancer, even though he had never smoked a cigarette in his whole life. He was given six months to live. Ray is a battler. He's still alive today, but it hasn't been an easy battle. He's lived on the doorstep of Stanford Medical Center. He just recently moved to Texas, so when he does die, he will be near his wife's children who are there. But that's not the end of it. It's been about five or six years ago now. The cancer came back and it spread to his leg. And he had to have his, knee, his leg amputated below the right knee. But the prosthesis didn't work right and he was still having problems. And so they had to amputate again, this time above the knee. And when I talked to Ray last time, I'm due to give him a call right now again. Um, uh, there's more, the cancer is back again. He's had a difficult life, but you will never hear Ray complain or blame God. <clears throat> He's always thankful for the blessings that God has brought to his life. And we need to have this attitude of gratitude. God knows everything that's happening to us. We may not know why or what it means. But that attitude of gratitude is important and essential. So count your blessings. I'm telling you, the good things all, always outweigh the bad things. Look for the silver lining. God can do something even in the most difficult or impossible of situations. Turn those obstacles into opportunities. And know this. This was a quote that I took from, oh, what's his name? John Maxwell. Some of you might have heard of John Maxwell. <clears throat> know this, that sometimes you win. And sometimes you learn. There's always something God is saying and doing in the midst of whatever situation you're in. Now the last point. <clears throat> and this is a different image that I have, but I saw this one on YouTube and I just couldn't resist it. Self-control. Some of you might have heard of the great evangelist. D.L. Moody was his name. And he was asked one time about the most difficult person he had to deal with. And he said, D.L. Moody is the most difficult person I have to deal with. That self-control is vital and critical if we are going to live a, um, an abundant life. And I, I found another scripture here. Uh, well, this is one out of Proverbs. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now think of the areas of your life that maybe are out of control. And here was a verse, I'll, I'll leave it here, but I'm not going to read this one. While you're looking at that one, I thought of it this morning early, and it comes out of James chapter 3, and it fits better with what I'm trying to say here. 
When you put, it's in third chapter, third verse, when you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are drawn by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. And then he goes on. All kinds of animals, this is in the seventh verse, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea can, uh, are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And learning to control ourselves. Last slide that's here today is this one. Identify the problem area of your life. We all have them. Okay? What is the one that is keeping you from the fullness of life that God wants you to have? Avoid the blame game. We have become a culture of excuses and blame games. Take responsibility for what has happened in your life, for where you are. Start now to get it fixed. Start small, small victories here. See, I'm going to have to exercise some discipline. Not total discipline at the sweet and treats in just a moment. I'm diabetic. And my wife, and I have this ravenous sweet tooth. Okay? And I'm telling you, I can only eat half of one of those fried pies that are out there. But I went to the doctor last time and my A1C is a little high, not terribly high, pretty much under control. But he said, and this sounded so good, he said, why don't you just try not eating sweets one day a week? And my wife reminds me of that every day <laughs> when I reach for a piece of pie or sees candy. And Halloween, oh my gosh. I buy all this candy because I tell her all these kids are coming because I'll have all this candy left over afterwards. You see? Now here's the other thing, and I've got my accountability partner. Find an accountability partner. Somebody you answer to. Somebody that you can be completely transparent with. So, that's part two of abundant living and cracking the code. And I just want to encourage you to not settle for where you are or who you are right now. But set the standard high. Know that God has something wonderful that he's awakening within you. That's the vision that God is giving to you in your life. Don't set the standard too low. Set it high enough. And just practice these guidelines because they are keys to living life as it was meant to be lived. Would you stand with me?
And we don't have to close our eyes, but I want, I want you to be looking in your own heart right now. And there are things that, that as I've been speaking, there's nothing magical about my words except there's too many of them. Um, but the Holy Spirit speaks when someone that God has anointed is bringing the word and delivering it. And what you feel in your heart, that's the knocking of the Holy Spirit, saying, I'm speaking to you. And this doesn't have to be some horrible thing. It could be very little or there could be more than one. But you're here right now. And you believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about steps or a step you need to take in order to experience a more abundant life. I was going to take the time, but we're out of time now, to invite you to the altar, have a time of prayer, but I, I won't do that this time. If I could just tame my tongue to say it all in 25 minutes, it would be a good thing. But I, I would like to, if, if you're here and you'd like to be included in a prayer, and, and I will stick around for at least a little bit of, frozen, uh, of uh, fried pie, and I'll be back there for a minute. If you'd like to talk, I'd be happy to pray with you about uh, whatever the Lord's speaking to you about. But you're here this morning, and you can say, you know, Pastor Stan, I feel like the Lord is wanting me to take this step to make this commitment so that I can experience life more abundantly. And there's something in particular that's on your mind right at this moment. And you just raise your hand and say, I'd just like to be included in this prayer as you close. Is there anybody? I see, I see a number of hands. Yes. Anyone else? Waiting a moment? Yes. Many. Most, a lot of people that are here. Father, we look to you now. And we thank you that you have promised to give us life more abundantly. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking into our hearts and showing us those areas that need improvement. And it is our awakening to the Spirit that makes that happen. And so, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that this moment would be a turning point in the lives of individuals that are here right now. And we take those steps that we need to take to make that commitment of that area of shortcoming or vulnerability to make that commitment to you. Lord, I just pray for a release of your Spirit's power and the change of our want to, to be able to take those steps closer to the image of Christ being formed in our life. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord fill your heart with peace. And may the Lord enable you in the days ahead to live your life more abundantly. God bless you.